am excited to be with you this morning. How many of you, if you're told, hey, that's probably a bad idea, whatever you've just declared that you want to do, and someone in your life tells you that's a bad idea, you just want to do it more, right? Is that anybody? Like, don't tell me what I can't do. I love Lost, and that's one of the things that's said in that show over and over again. Don't tell me what I cannot do. And today, I was told not to preach this message, and so I decided all the more that's what I want to do, because I want to read an entire chapter out of John chapter number six, and it's like 70 verses long. And when I told this to the staff, they're like, nobody's going to sit there and listen to you read for 70 verses. I said, I'm going to figure out how to do that. And that's how excited I am today for this message, that I'm compelled, I'm behooved to speak this many uh, verses of Scripture to you this morning, because we're in the middle of looking at the book of John, and we're starting a new series today where Jesus starts uttering statements of the I am statements. He's declaring who he is, and today we're going to look, and Jesus is going to tell us that he is the bread of life. Now, why in the world would I read to you an entire chapter of the Bible on Sunday morning? Well, because God's Word is not our word. And so when we want to look at God's word, we want to see it in context of what Jesus is trying to do. And when you look at John chapter number six, it would appear that you have three seemingly separate stories from one another. Jesus, uh, he takes and he multiplies the five loaves of bread and two fish and feeds 5,000. Then he walks on water and then he tells everybody that he is the bread of life and they have to eat his flesh and drink his blood, which is kind of a little bit of a, a concerning thing to hear from Jesus. And we're going to deal with that in a little bit. So you have three what seems to be segmented different stories, and yet when you look at all of them, they all tie in together perfectly. And I want you to see all this today in context so that you have a better understanding of who Christ is in your life and who he is to us, who he declares himself to be today to us from this passage is this, is that he is the bread of life. And we're only going to have eternal life when we are feasting upon him. Here's the reality that you have to understand. You can either be you can either be a fan of Jesus or you can be a consumer of Jesus. There's a lot of people who say I like Jesus, he's a good guy, but they haven't they haven't taken his teaching and allowed it to soak into their inner core. And today he's challenging us to say, "Look, I am your bread. I'm the one that sustains you and upholds you." There are so many people today in church who are quote-unquote with Jesus, but they're still just as lost as the murderer on death row. There are so many people who are obeying the rules, and yet they're just as lost as the person in the ditch. There are so many people who have, quote, received Christ, yet they haven't truly, to the core of who they are, have received Christ. And what John 6 is calling us to do is to examine our lives and to see if we're truly feasting on Christ and thus truly saved. So if you have your Bible, let's turn together to John chapter number 6. We're going to start in verse number one. John 6, verse number one. And here's what the scripture says to us. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is in the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was there following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Let's stop right there. They noticed Jesus is healing all these people, and this is kind of exciting. I'd like to see that. So they are following Jesus simply for what he is doing. Verse 3, Jesus went on up the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. 
Philip answered him, 2,000 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here that has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place so that the men sat down and there was about 5,000 in number. And Jesus then took the loaves and when he had given things, he distributed them to those who had been seated. So also the fish, as many as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets of fragments with, from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world, perceiving that they were about to make and take him by force to make him king. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Himself. And when evening came, his disciples went to the sea, got into the boat, and started to cross the sea of Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. And the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But they, he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at land to which they were going. Let's pause right there just for a moment, because we need to talk. Now, we need to understand this passage very carefully about the five loaves and the two fish. This passage starts very interestingly. In verse 3, it says that Jesus went up on the mountain. Now, when you read in the Gospel of John, and he talks about Jesus going up the mountain, or you might even remember in Matthew with the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes up on the mountain. It seemed like every time that Jesus wanted his disciples to understand an important truth, he went up on a mountain. It almost communicated to them like, hey, I'm about to raise your level of understanding. I want you to understand what I'm about to teach you. So from the beginning of this chapter, we understand that Jesus is on this mountain and he's about to teach you and I and his followers a very important lesson. And the lesson was this, he is the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. Now, the feeding of the 5,000 and the walking on water comes for one purpose, and that is to teach us that Jesus is the bread of life. I have preached out of this passage many times before, and in fact, I've heard many sermons out of this passage just like you probably have. When my calling to be a pastor was confirmed, this was the passage that was being preached. And most of the time, when this passage is preached, it goes something like this. Be like the little boy. Give your all to Jesus, and he can multiply it beyond anything that you can ask or imagine. And I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with those messages. That's a good truth. That's a good principle. We need to give Christ everything that we have in our life, even if it seems meager to us, because he can take it and he can multiply it to the benefit of other people. However, I think it's also important to see the point of this miracle is is not the little boy giving the lunch or Peter getting out of a boat to walk on water with Jesus, as we see in a different gospel. This miracle is to point that Jesus is the, breath, uh, the bread of life. When you look at this narrative, you see that Jesus is setting the stage for the teaching that he wants to give us in the second half of this chapter. When Jesus is on this mountain, he asks Philip, where are we going to feed the people? Now, this reminds me of Mimi just a little bit. I love Mimi, but every time 
time we have a dinner, Mimi is concerned that we're going to run out of food whenever everybody shows up. And perhaps many of you, you host people in your home, and the biggest fear is that you're going to have all these people show up, and that there's going to be nothing left for the people at the end of the line, and you're sweating bullets the whole time. I swear God has multiplied food in our kitchen because Mimi has prayed over it so much. I mean, they talk about the 12 baskets full. Every time we have a dinner, we have a bunch left, and I think it's because Mimi has prayed over the food. And so Jesus is acting a little bit like Mimi right here. Now, we know his motives are different because he, the passage tells us, he says, look, Philip, hey, look at all these people. We should probably feed them. What do you think we should do about that? And Philip is mortified because he doesn't know how he's going to be able to feed all of these people. And so here comes Andrew. He says, hey, I got this sack lunch. What if we took this and use this? Here's the thing that we need to understand is that the Bible makes it clear that Jesus is using this as a test to get everyone to see the desperate situation that they are in. Jesus could have solved this problem without involving any of the disciples, but he wanted them to see his power on display. There's some discussion, and then they bring Jesus this lunch. He tells everybody to sit down. 5,000 men plus women and children are fed. Now, what's interesting about this miracle is that this is the first miracle in John that Jesus actually uses his hands. All the other miracles he's done to this point, he's given a word and somebody's changed. This one, he wants to do it a little bit differently. This is the first time he's used his hands. And so he feeds everybody. And then out of nowhere, the writer tells us that Jesus walks on water. Now, that seems kind of strange to me. We go from feeding 5,000 to Jesus going on the mountain. Next thing we know, he is walking on water. And then, as we're going to see in a moment, he tells everybody they need to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Now, this seems very confusing to us. It seems discombobulated, like it doesn't run together. What does the bread of the feeding of the 5,000, the walking on the water, have to do with each other? Here we go. You have to understand the original audience that Jesus is talking to. It says there's 5,000 men there, plus women and children. And these are Jews. They're devout Jews. They're devout to the law. And as such, they're devout to the man named Moses. Moses was the man in the Old Testament who delivered the people who God used to deliver and save the Israelites out of slavery out of Egypt. Moses is the one that parted the Red Sea and the Israelites walked across on dry ground. Moses was the one that God used to send the manna from heaven to feed the people while they were in the wilderness. And now here are these Jews thousands of years later under another oppressor. This time it's not the Egyptians, but it's the Romans and they are looking for another Moses. And the reason they're looking for another Moses is because Moses told them before he went to heaven, he said, look, there's going to be another prophet who's like me that's coming. And you'll notice that the people said, this is the prophet that is to come. The problem is the people were looking for Jesus to deliver them from Roman occupation, and Jesus was there to deliver them from their sins. But if you look at the comparison between Moses and Jesus, Moses said, hey, look, this person is going to be a little bit like me. This is the one that God is sending. You see some similarities. Moses delivered the people from Egypt. Jesus delivered the people from their sins. Moses parted the Red Sea. Jesus walked on the water because he's God. Moses called down manna from heaven. Jesus showed that he is the manna from heaven. These people were looking for the new Moses, and Jesus was the better Moses. We'll see here in just a moment that they talk about Moses a lot. 
Now, I don't know a person today who's facing any sort of problem in their life, and they said, you know what we need right now? I need Moses to show up. I mean, that'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? I mean, but I've never heard anybody say that. They've never been sitting there bouncing the checkbook like, oh, man, we're in trouble. I need Moses right now. That has never (laughs) happened, at least to my recollection. And if you're calling on Moses, we need to have a different talk because he ain't coming, all right? But these people misunderstood what Moses told them. He was trying to tell them to look to the Messiah. They thought another guy was coming with a staff to deliver them from oppression. Now, Jesus then appears, and the crowd says, it says in verse number 15, excuse me, let's go verse 14. When they had seen the sign, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were going to come and make and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now that's a very, very interesting line to me. You see, a prophet tells you the truth and you don't always want to hear the truth. I mean, if you go back and look in the Old Testament at the the prophets that God used to, to speak to the nation of Israel... A lot of the things they were saying weren't nice. I mean, they were the moral police for the nation saying, God has called you to live to a certain standard and you are breaking his law. And I'm telling you, if you don't repent, bad things are going to happen. How many of you, when your kids start getting a little bit older, every time you did something wrong, they called you on it? I mean, just, and that's annoying, right? You know, I mean, you're like, dad, you're speeding. Dad, you're not supposed to eat the cookies. Mom said not to eat the cookies, you know, I mean. (laughs) Dad, you know, you're staying up to, I mean, it gets old after a while to have somebody tell, is it the truth? Of course it's the truth. Why is a kid telling you the truth? Because you've told them that, but you are being a hypocrite, not living up to what you've told them. We don't like it when someone is consistently speaking the truth to our life. And so here they are, they perceived he's the prophet. But then it says, hey, let's make him our king. Now, kings are a little bit different. Because kings do our bidding. When we put them in position of kingship, we expect them to take care of us. That's why we get mad at our political leaders. We elect them to office and they don't do anything they promise. And we get mad about it and we vote them out. So they're sitting here and they're saying, let's make him king. See, here's the reality. So many professing Christians are looking for, quote unquote, a king to fulfill their agenda, but they are not looking for a savior or a prophet to tell them the truth. And the problem that we're about to see is that. That is the problem. This crowd is here. There's a lot of them. But they want Jesus to do their bidding. They don't want him to speak the truth. So what Jesus does the rest of John 6 is very interesting. He addresses this problem. Starting in verse number 22. Here's what it says. On the next day, the crowd remained on the other side of the sea and saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered that boat with his disciples, but his his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near and the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said, Rabbi, When did you get here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, 
what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Check this out. Our fathers ate the manna in, he- in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they're basically saying, hey, we're looking for Moses. You need to be like Moses. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you true bread from heaven for the bread of heaven is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has learned and heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father except him who is truly from God. He has seen the father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that One may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread I will give for life of the world is my flesh. And the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give his flesh to eat? And so Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread your fathers ate and died, Whoever feeds on the bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Wow, I need a break. Talk amongst yourselves. So, here we go. That was a lot. Very contentious conversation between Jews and the religious leaders. Verse 26 shows us that the chapter is connected together. See, the next day after Jesus fed the 5,000, everybody wakes up. They start looking around. Why are they looking for Jesus? Because they're hungry. They realize that they, they realize that Jesus is not there. 
They realized that one boat left and they figured somehow Jesus got to the other side. Let's go find him because we're hungry. And so when they find Jesus, they start to question him. And Jesus immediately gets to the business at hand. He says, you're not coming because you saw the sign and understood. You're coming because I fed you lunch and now you're hungry again. Every one of us has those people in our phone that when they call, you're like, oh man, all they're going to do is want me to come help them move or something like that. You know what I mean? You have that friend that the only time they call you is when they need something. You know what I mean? And it's always to move something heavy, you know, because you have a truck and he drives a Prius. And so they're like, hey, let's call, let's call Bob. He has a truck. That's what Jesus is saying. There's almost some annoyance in his voice. I'm assuming there's some annoyance here. He's like, you didn't see the sign. You're just here because you're hungry again. He's calling them out from the beginning. He says, you guys missed what I was trying to teach you. The crowd missed the meaning of the 5,000. They missed a sign. They missed who truly Jesus was. They just had a meal or satisfied. So many people come to church, so many Christian events, and they have a satisfying moment with Jesus, but they never eat the bread of life. And so they're searching for satisfaction in all the wrong things. Church is not the bread of life. If you're coming here to get satisfied to your core, you are going to be thoroughly disappointed. Christian events are not the bread of life. Worship music is not the bread of life. None of these things are going to satisfy your core. They can be meals fed to us from the hands of the Father. It can be beneficial to our souls, but it is not going to satisfy, and we're going to wake up again hungry. These types of people are constantly eating bread from Jesus' hand. The worship music, the Sunday school, the the friendships at church, the the nice Bible stuff. All these things are byproducts of the living bread himself, Jesus Christ. We're substituting Jesus for the things of Jesus. And it doesn't work. Don't Don't chase Christ for food that perishes but for food that doesn't perish. Chase Christ for eternal life. This is why we have to be so careful about how we follow into religious motions. You know, the worship team up here earlier sounded good. I mean, they sounded really good this morning. I mean, it was on point. Everything was good. It sounds good. It's pleasing. And to the natural fleshly person, it sounds good. I mean, we have people on the platform that can sing. We have people on the platform that can play. And even if you didn't believe anything that we just sang about, you can still hear it and say, man, that sounded good. It might even touch your emotions. But none of those things are changing your heart or feeding your core. We need eternal life, and Christ is the eternal life. Eternal life is what we all need to be chasing after because eternal life is the purpose in which Christ came. He came to give us this eternal life. The words Jesus spoke, he said, I am the bread of life. This has to be taken in the context of the feeding of 5,000. What does this teach us? If we look at the feeding of the 5,000, then Jesus is standing here with this crowd and he says, I am the bread of life. What does that teach us? First, it teaches us that we don't have the bread of life. We're all born with natural desire to eat. There's not a day that goes by that somebody in your house doesn't say, I'm hungry. And most of the time, if it's a child, it's right after you ate, right? I mean, that's, or me in my house, because I do that a lot too, charity, you know. Knox is like, I'm hungry, and I'm like, just ate, but I'm thinking, I am too, you know what I mean? <laughs> right? I'm hypocritical. 
There's some of you right now, like, I wish this dude would shut up so we can go eat. <laughs> Think about how much effort and time we put into eating. We go to work to buy food. Then we wake up in the morning to eat, and we take an hour at lunch to eat, and then dinner comes, and we eat, and we snack in between, and we snack before bed. Lucas Tolleson used to tell me he keeps a stack of Oreos by his bed at night to eat them. Ain't that the truth? Mimi Bottom, she was enabling that bad behavior. He told me he'd wake up in the middle of the night, roll over, grab some Oreos, eat them, and go back to sleep. I said, what in the world is wrong with you? People like to eat. And see, what the people in this account were doing is they are trying to find some food. But what they needed was Jesus. They remembered the account of Moses. He said, hey, Moses brought manna from heaven every day for 40 years. I mean, the chances of me living for 40 years isn't very good, so I don't have to work another day of my life. That's got to bring food every day. Why was this crowd so demanding? Because they knew they didn't have the bread. When Jesus asked Philip, were we going to feed these people? Jesus, Philip didn't have an answer. And we are like Philip. We are powerless to supply the bread of life to ourselves. We are powerless to bring ourselves eternal life. We are powerless to satisfy our spiritual, our emotional hunger. We're completely inept at doing that. We have to understand what the bread of life is. The bread of life is a reference to eternal life. Now, eternal life is more than just living for a long time. Eternal life was the design of humanity. When God placed Adam and Eve in the garden, he provided everything they needed so they could have eternal life. And that eternal life was to live and be productive and to gaze upon God's glory and to love God and love one another. It's a picture of paradise is how we were created to live. And now, since we botched that with our sin, the picture painted of eternal life is given to us in the book of Revelation. We see it, that that this eternal life is that in which the garden, so to speak, is, is reformed, it's remade for us, we're redeemed by the blood of Christ, and now we're in heaven, and there's no worry, and there's no stress, and there's no pain, and there's no suffering. Those are the things we need. Those are the things that only satisfied. It's the the life that we are meant to live. There's no tears in this life. There's no hurt in this life. There's no sleepless nights in this life. This is what we all need if we realize it or not. If you've ever talked, I want to be careful with how I say this, but but it's a truth and we all have known people like this. If you've ever talked to an elderly person who has the hope of heaven in their heart, And all their friends have passed away and their spouses have passed away. They're consistently asking God, when can I go next? What does that teach us? Their heart is longing for heaven. To live forever in this state of life would be hell itself. They're longing for heaven, which shows us that every single one of us is longing for eternal life. It's what we desire, but we can't get it. Second, what it shows us is that we are naturally not going to see Jesus as the bread. Jesus tells the crowd that he is the bread of life. He says, look, eternal bread is me. I am the eternal life. And the crowd starts to grumble. They can't figure out what he's saying. They get defensive. They're like, hey, this is Jesus. We know his family. We know his brothers and sisters. And we know we've seen his work as a carpenter. And he says he'd come down from heaven. He is not the eternal life. Here's what this teaches us. Every single one of us are also not going to see Jesus as life. We will all struggle to see how Jesus is the answer to our problems. 
We're going to all struggle to see how Jesus is the answer to our problems on earth. And we're also going to struggle to see how Jesus is the answer to our eternal problems. We're also going to have questions about Jesus that we can't answer. This crowd could not get the answers they were looking for about Jesus. They're like, hey, well, we know this guy. We watched him grow up. This doesn't make sense. The people were not struggling with what Jesus wanted to do in their life, but they were struggling with who he was in their life. And all of us are going to struggle with the same thing. Surrendering my life to a man who lived 2,000 years ago doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me today. We're always going to have reasons why we can explain away Jesus. This is why verse 44 is so important to us. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. The day before the Holy Spirit multiplied the bread in the hands of Christ. And now the Holy Spirit was trying to stir up their hearts, but they were ignoring the stirring in their life. The third thing that this teaches us is that Christ is the only living bread that we need to feast on. See, this crowd is struggling to understand Jesus, and they're getting frustrated with him. And he just looks at him. He says, look, my flesh and my blood are true food and true drink for eternal life. Now, when Jesus says this, the entire conversation descends into chaos. The idea of feeding on Jesus is difficult. Feeding on Jesus' flesh is offensive to us. Drinking his blood is offensive to us. If we walked up onto a group of cannibals eating a body, we would have a problem with it. We'd be horrified. We'd be nauseated. We'd be sick. And we would want to run away as fast as possible. So when Jesus invites them to do this, they throw a fit. Now, when Jesus is standing around the well with the woman, he tells her that she needs to drink from the living water. Hey, I can get behind that. That's something I can get behind. But now when he's saying, hey, look, you need to eat all my flesh and drink my blood. Whoa, I'm out. That is something that is offensive to me. So what in the world is Jesus saying when he says this? Jesus is pointing to his death. This sounds graphic, but you have to understand what he's saying. You can only eat a body if it's dead. If Jake walks up and bites my arm, (laughs) there's a problem, okay? There's a problem. There's a club, a gun, something's about to get you know, involved here pretty quick because that hurts. You know, we're not going Mike Tyson on each other around here. That was too far. That was too far. Lord, I apologize. I want to probably get an email for that one. Jesus is trying to make a point. This is graphic and gruesome for a reason. Eternal life only comes because there's a violent death. Your eternal life, my eternal life, only become a reality because Jesus died a violent death. And if you want that eternal life, then you have to consume that to your core. Verse 47 is a linchpin to help us understand what Jesus is saying. Jesus shows us that eating is believing. Let me read it to you. Truly, truly, I said to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Jesus is trying to get the people to see their desperate need for this life. When you eat of natural bread, you're going to die. He says, he's basically saying, look, you guys are looking for Moses again, but all the people who ate from the hand of Moses are dead. They're not here. I and giving you something that lives forever. Jesus is contrasting the eternal bread of life with physical bread that does not satisfy. 
His flesh and his blood are the sacrifices that bring eternal life. And to enter into that eternal life with Jesus means that you are to eat that sacrifice. You're to get it to your core. You're to consume it. You're to allow the truth that Jesus' death saves you to go to the core, the center of who you are. You're not to play with it. You're not to use it as decoration in your house. You are to consume that truth. You're to believe that truth. You're to let it go to your heart. Jesus is teaching us through this metaphor that eating and drinking is what believing entails. You have to go all in. You have to consume what Jesus is giving you. You have to let it change your life. He's basically saying, look, it's only going to happen through a violent death. I'm going all in for you. I need you to go all in believing me. There's no middle ground. We're going to go eat lunch after this, God willing. I don't plan on going to the restaurant, taking a bite, and then spitting the food out. I'm going to consume it. And too many Christians come on Sunday, they chew on it just a little bit, and they spit it out the door as soon as they walk out, and they're wondering, why am I not satisfied to my core? Why am I not satisfied to my core? Fourth thing Jesus teaches this is that Jesus will supply you with enough bread. I love verse 37 because he says, all who come to me, I'm not going to turn any of them away. I'm not going to cast any of them out. I'm not turning any of them away. When Jesus multiplied the five loaves and two fish, he then told the disciples, hey, go pick up the baskets full left. And how much did they get? Twelve baskets. Jesus is enough. Verse 56 brings us all home. He says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Eternal life is being with Christ. And this is the defining characteristic of being a true disciple of Jesus. Eating and drinking is participating in the blood death of Jesus, meaning I'm dying to my old sins. I'm dying to my old way of life. I'm consuming Jesus' new life. I'm letting it go to my corner and I'm living for him always. That is what Jesus is calling us to do. And until we do that, We're going to be like this crowd where we're consistently chasing after Jesus, never satisfied with Jesus, and irritated that he hasn't brought us what we think we need. We have to consume him to our core. I want to close with this if the worship team wants to come back. And if you would, please stand with me this morning. I'm going to finish reading this chapter. Starting in verse number 60, it says this. When many of the disciples heard it, when Jesus said, drink my flesh, excuse me, eat my flesh and drink my blood. When they heard it, they said, this is a hard teaching. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. Pause right there. So many of us are trying to fix the problems in our life that ultimately have a spiritual root with fleshly ambition, and it's never going to work. Verse 64. Let me read. Half of verse 63. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who would betray. And he said to them, this is why I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you're the Holy One of God. Jesus said to them, did I I not choose you, the twelve? 
And yet one of you is the devil. And he said this, spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. For he, the one of the 12, was going to betray him. So when Jesus said all this stuff, you have to understand that that draws a line in the sand. For some, it's offensive. For some, it brings hope. For the majority of the crowd there that day, when Jesus said, you have to consume me, go all in, they said, this is a hard teaching. Who can take it? And they turned their back and they stopped following him. There is a line in the sand for all of us. Do we take the hard teaching of Jesus and let it soak in? Or do we say, that's, that's too hard for me. I can't, I can't give up everything and go all in for Christ. There's some of us that when we come and we have all these weights in life and we come to Christ, we're looking for bread. The problem is Christ calls us to turn inwardly first and consume me. Every problem in life is going to have a spiritual root to it at some point. Sure, I believe in Jesus. I'm not going to stop eating. I'm going to still eat food. I'm going to go eat lunch after church today, just like you are. But in a way, that's exactly the contrast of what Jesus is trying to say. Until you fix in here, none of this other stuff is is going to matter. And so a lot of us, we have some issues, some things at the core of who we are, and we're looking to all these different things to bring us bread, and yet we're still left hungry, hungry, and hungry. We've had people promise us things that have left us hungry. We have given ourselves to careers and ambition that have left us hungry. We have given ourselves to relationships that have left us hungry. We have given ourselves in marriages that have left us hungry. We have given ourselves in pursuits that have left us hungry. None of these things were we're bad necessarily, but they haven't satisfied what we truly need, which is Christ to enter into our hearts and to satisfy us at our core. And I just believe that there are some people in this room this morning that you're here and there's a place of dissatisfaction in your life. What are you to do? You're to mimic Peter's words. Now, Peter gets a hard rap a lot, but man, he threw down the gauntlet right here. Jesus turns to them, and who knows Jesus' emotion in this moment? Maybe I'm reading into it a little bit wrong, but it sounds like he's a little bit irritated. He looks at the 12 and says, what about you guys? I've done had you follow me around for the last year. Are you going to leave me just like these guys? I think Jesus probably felt some of those emotions sometimes. He faced the same thing that we did. And what does Peter say? Peter said to him, Lord, where shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Some of us need to come to a point where we're like Peter, like, God, I don't know where else to turn. You have the words of eternal life, and I need life in my situation.